Question number one. This was Jax Dellers. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 to 14, it talks about four rivers coming out of Eden. We still have the Euphrates today, but what or where are the other three rivers? Mighty mist. Oh, I thought you said the mighty mist. I'm like, that's, that's not even a river. But, okay. The mighty mist is. It is? That's in Eden? It was a joke. That was the gosh. Thank you, Maury. Like I, well, okay. Science and geography. Not my strong suits. All right. So we're in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, follow along with me. We're actually going to look at the context in verses 8 and 9 first. So look at me in verse 8. And the Lord God. And the Lord God. Everyone there? And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to his sight, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Somebody tell me, where is this garden located at? You need to shout it out. Outside of Israel. Well, it is, specifically with the passage, though. East of Eden. It's the Garden of Eden, but the garden takes place, or it's found eastwardly of Eden, wherever it is. You want to keep that in mind. Verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became, or it came into four heads. The name of the first is Pison. It's French. That it is, uh, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Now that might seem like a throwaway verse to you, but God's given you little keys and indicators with those words that are found there as to where this river is located. We'll see that in a second. And the gold of that land is good. There is Bedellum and the onyx stone. Say anything with that verse. Verse 13. And the name of the second river is Gihon. The same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittichel. That is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. Don't you love that? Euphrates is one that we know because it's still around today, and I love it. It's like God didn't even waste space detailing it. It's almost as though he knew, yeah, this one's going to stay around forever, and it's going to be easy to identify, so I'm not going to waste space on it. I love that. So, we have four rivers coming out of the Garden of Eden, eastwardly in Eden. We know the Euphrates, but what are the other three? Okay, so the first one on your point here... We have Hedekel, and uh, there's a reason why I'm going out of order with all of this, as you'll see why here in a second. But you know what's interesting about these other three rivers? That this is the only mention of these three rivers anywhere else in the Bible. You'll see Gihon. Gihon comes up again, like in the book of Chronicles and the book of Kings, but it's specifically talking about a place that's in Jerusalem. And as we're going to see here on a map, Eden, or where we believe Eden is, is far away from Jerusalem. So the Gihon that's mentioned later in the Bible, it's not talking about this river. Right here in Genesis chapter 2 are the only mentions of these rivers, with the exception of one. If you were to trace the word Hedekel throughout, or Hedekel, however you want to pronounce that, throughout the Bible, it shows up in one other place. And that's Daniel chapter 10, verse 4. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is what? Hedekel. Or Hidekel. Or Hidekel. Or high de decal. That's not how you pronounce it. Don't pronounce it that way. So what's going on here in the book of Daniel? Who knows what the synopsis is of Daniel? Who's speaking here? Daniel. Yeah. Where is he? Is he in Israel? That was funny. Is he in Israel? Where are he and the rest of the Israelites in this time in history? Because they're not in the land of Israel, that's for sure. Someone came along and took them away from that land. And what was that king's name? Nebuchadnezzar. You guys remember the story from, well, maybe you don't. Kids Club, you know, every single Sunday and Wednesday, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of where? He was a kingdom that he was over. What was that kingdom called? Babylon. Thank you. So, <laughs> so Babylon 
is where Israel is. And Daniel's telling you that he is by the great river, which is Hittichel. Now, you know what's interesting about Babylon? Look again at verse 14. He gives you another hint about this river. The name of the third river is Hittichel, and that it is, or that, that is it, which goeth toward the east of where? Assyria. Assyria. So in the Babylonian Empire, I don't know if you guys could check this map out or not, this here is a map of the entire Babylonian Empire and all of the lands where they conquered. And not too far from Babylon was Assyria. Now we have this river here, and this is Euphrates, we know this for sure, but if you look right here, this second great river, it's called you guys see it? It's a different spelling, but it's Hidekel or Hidekel. I'm going to pronounce it a different way each and every single time. So that's where he is. Now, from looking at this, can anybody tell me what that river is now known as today? Say it out loud. Tigris. Tigris. It's the Tigris River. Here's another map. It's the exact same map, only this one has the modern-day name of Tigris right on there. So you guys see, you have these two rivers coming out. And the Bible even said in Genesis 2.14, we just saw that this river goes east of Assyria because the Euphrates is going west of Assyria. And you guys see the starting point of it. That's modern-day Kuwait. Interesting. So that's where we have Hidekel. And I hope I never have to pronounce that word again for the rest of tonight. Next, the French River Pison. Now, what's interesting about this one, go ahead and look at verse 11. The name of the first is Pison. That is it which compasseth the whole land of where? Havilah, where there is gold. In other words, this land that you have here, it is wealthy beyond all get out. Havilah. Now, something that's interesting about this. Can anybody tell me who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, which are known as the Pentateuch. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. And of course, we know Moses, he was around during the time of the Exodus. So this is thousands of years after the creation. So God is obviously writing to Moses, telling him everything that's going on here. The names of which that he's giving these locations, they didn't necessarily exist at, that, at the time that we're reading in Genesis chapter 2. It'd almost be like if somebody wrote a biography on Pastor Tom. And someone said, you know, Pastor Tom Gang was saved. He received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior in July 2nd, 1989, and became the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jackson. Now, if you're reading that biography of Pastor Tom and you see, okay, July 2nd, 1989, and then you looked at a map and it's like, where's First Baptist Church of Jackson then? You're not going to find that it exists then because it's talking about something that has happened in the future. It's the same thing with Havilah. Havilah didn't exist necessarily in Genesis chapter 2. He's just having Moses go back and say, hey, you guys know that First Baptist Church of Jackson that's located here on Strasser Street? Yeah, it actually, it was formed. But it was started way back when, when this guy got saved. It's the same thing here. These places, as you'll soon see, are named after people who are descendants of Noah and his lineage. And Havilah is no different. And if you were to look and just trace that word Havilah throughout Scripture, you'd find in Genesis chapter 10, verse 7, the sons of Cush. Anybody know who, who Cush's dad is? Ham. Ham is one of the three sons of Noah. And Ham also had another son, Cush's brother, whose name was Canaan. Anybody remember what Noah did with Canaan? Put a curse on him. You know why? Well, as you study out Genesis chapter 9, after the flood... When Noah planted a vineyard, Noah ended up getting drunk off of his own vineyard, and his son Ham ended up performing an incestuous act with his own mother, and when Noah woke up from his drunken stupor, realized it, and cursed Ham's son, Canaan. Cush is Canaan's brother. You can check that story out later if you want. You know what happened to all of the sons of Ham? They decided, you know what, here we are on Mount Ararat. The ark is here on Mount... Hey, there's a little boat. It's on Mount Ararat. Noah says, hey, my three boys, Shem, you're going to take all this land eastward. Japheth, you're going to take all this land westward. Ham, 
you get everything down below here. You could trace back every people group, every ethnicity, every race to these three guys based upon where they ended up going from the Middle East, westward, eastward, southward. Ham, Cush, and Havilah, they went south of Mount Ararat. So that gives you a little indication of where Havilah might be in the Saudi Arabia area, especially when we look at the map of where the rivers all went to. And this kind of gives you a little bit of a hint of that. So you guys see here's Ur, here's a little question mark, Garden of Eden, Kuwait, modern day, the two rivers here. So he's basically telling us that Havilah is where this other river is. Just a little map to kind of give you guys the zone here. But going further, if you trace that word Havilah elsewhere, you'll find in Genesis 25, verse 18, it says, And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur. And I love it. He even tells you where Shur is, so you know which direction this river is going. Because again, in Genesis, look again in verse, uh, where are we at? Was it 11? Oh yeah, it says, It composite the whole land of Havilah. He says, Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria. So you guys remember where Assyria is? Let me see if I can go back here. Assyria is right up here. If this is Egypt, and he's saying all of Havilah was basically from Shur on over this way towards Assyria, which direction is that river going? From north to south like the other two? East to west. And here's another map. A lot of maps tonight. Here's Havilah. Some say it's right here. Others say that there's also, it went down here into the Saudi Arabia area. But here's sure. So you know, everything right here was considered Havilah. All of those descendants, they, they migrated there, and there was a river there. Now, you know what's interesting about this? For the longest time, and this is the reason why Jack asked this question, Tigris and Euphrates are the only two rivers that we have on a map. There's clearly nothing there. You can look at a map today. There's no known river that's there. Until about 25, close to 30 years ago, we sent our troops over to this area of Kuwait in the Persian Gulf War in 1991, and we bombed the ever-loving snot out of it, trying to get Saddam Hussein. And in the course of all the bombs that we dropped out of it, as they would fly over and take satellite pictures, something got unearthed that was previously buried. And what do you know? They found the remnants of what used to be a riverbed. This guy, Dr. Farouk El-Baz, in a New York Times article, March 30th, 1993. Listen to this. Close examination of images from Earth's satellites has revealed traces of an ancient river under the sands of where? Which originated in the Hijaz Mountains of western Saudi Arabia and flowed which direction? Eastward. Yeah, towards Kuwait. More than 500 miles across the desert of the Arabian Gulf. There it formed a delta that once covered much of what? According to Dr. Farouk El-Baz, he believes this explains the gravel found in much of Kuwait. You know what's interesting? I, I wish I would have looked it back up, but I found earlier this week in my studies that there's a, someone said there's like six miles worth of rubble buried underneath, I think, the Caspian Sea, which is right on the perimeter or the border of uh, Kuwait. Six miles worth of gravel that's just buried there. This guy's saying it's because of the river. I think it's because of something else that we'll get to in just a second. He believes this explains the gravel found in much of Kuwait. I'd already read that. and now appears to have been carried across Arabia from the distant mountains. Evidence for similar partly hidden dried up waterways have been found in space images of the Sahara. In the past, hidden rivers have proved a source of water. Dr. Elbaz pointed out that this could be the case in Saudi Arabia. He believes such rivers were formed during a relatively moist epoch that ended 5,000 years ago. So take 2,000 years ago, you have the time of Christ. Take another 3,000 years before that. Anybody want to take a stab in the dark as to who was alive around then? And something cataclysmic that might have happened that would have buried this river? Noah. 
about 3,000 years BC, rough, roughly, that's when Noah's flood took place. During that period, he said, what he calls the Kuwait River may have been as much as three miles wide and voluminous, vol voluminous, whatever, enough to produce a wide, whatever, enough to produce a wide delta at its mouth that not only covered much of Kuwait, but reached north toward Basara in Iraq. And this is an actual, now someone actually typed over this, but these are actual satellite images of this. Here's the remnants of this riverbed that was only unearthed after our troops started bombing the crap out of that area. Flowing across the Arabian Desert right into Kuwait. Northern Iraq, which is where Babylon is by the way. And you have the two rivers of the Euphrates and the Tigris coming down this way. Hmm, man, what a great place for our garden to get all of its nutrients that it would need. Went ahead and threw this map in here as well, just to give you guys another look. You can see again, it's pointing, boom, right into Kuwait. Boom, right into where the other rivers go. If you guys want to access this PowerPoint, let me know. I'll probably put it in the group me later because I do have a lot of images here. Again, I need it. Science is not my friend. Is that everything? Okay, yeah, we'll go here in a second. So, on your blank, Pison is known as the Kuwait River. Otherwise, it's known today, if you were to Google it, it's the Wadi Al-Bataan. Uh, that's what this guy discovered, Dr. Farouk Elbaz. He named it that. But I thought that was kind of neat. People didn't know for the longest time. You check out Bible commentators from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Nobody knew what those last two rivers were. And then in 1993, this guy discovers remnants of something that was once buried, probably because of a cataclysmic flood that happened 5,000 years ago. Pretty neat. Now, don't get too excited about Gihon because to fill in your blank, it's unknown. That's the one that we still don't have. But if you look at what the Bible says in Genesis 2, look with me in verse 13. The name of the second river is Gihon, the same as it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. Now, you might be thinking, man, that's a stinking long ways away for this river to be in. But keep in mind, Ethiopia that you know today wasn't always Ethiopia. They had more territory back then, and it's likely that it would have been bled, bled into Saudi Arabia, and that's where you would have had that river. So you guys get the picture? Basically, well, kind of like this. You have the Euphrates going here, and you have the Tigris going here. As we just saw, you have Pison going down here, and it's more likely, given again the description of Assyria, that Gihon is also going west-southwest downwards. Kind of forming a nice triangle here. We're just missing something on this left side, and that's why I put... Oh, well, to finish your blank here. Gihon is unknown, but based upon the scripture, it appears to have gone west-southwest and was destroyed due to Noah's flood, like Pison. Interesting point concerning the land grant to Abraham, however. So you fast forward a couple years after Noah's flood. You have Abraham come on the scene, and God makes a covenant with him, a land grant. And it says, The same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. And he sets parameters. In fact, he gives us the one parameter we don't have yet. Because back in the garden... <laughs> Adam and Eve basically had this area here, and they were to go westward, and they'd populate the whole area until they came back around again to the starting point. But now we're in a different time zone. We're in a different dispensation. He says, have I given this land from the river of Egypt? What do you guys think the river of Egypt is? Nile. The Nile. You know where the Nile runs? Right about up here. Well, I mean, into Egypt, but if you keep going with the line... You have another triangle here. To the great river Euphrates, where it meets up here. In other words, he lets you know, this is the original land grant given to Israel. Again, you have the garden over here, because keep in mind, where did God plant that garden? Eastward of Eden. So here you have your parameters. This was all original Eden. I get it. The entire earth was theirs, but after that, this is the land grant God gave Abraham. All of this. Now think about this, guys. Everything that's within this triangle is Israel. Do you know how much of this they have 
today, this little sliver right here. You get on the news, you listen to the people that are in charge, to all of the globalists who are trying to hold hands with the world and just make peace in the Middle East, and they think it's all about this strip of land. Oh, it's about Jerusalem right here in this strip of land because it's about somebody trying to get someone to sit on a throne there. Do you understand what they're robbing God's people of? This entire area here all belongs to Israel. You know what the biggest misconception is about your Bible? That it's a religious book. The Bible's not a religious book. The Bible's a book of history. You see, when it's a book of history... Now you got some problems. Now you start stepping on people's toes because history is provable. History is measurable like science. God is also a God of history. When you start looking at the measurements, when you start looking at everything, now you got to answer something. And if God is right upon these historical points, what else could he be right about? Oh, but oh, we start talking about heaven and hell and it steps on people's toes. And so we want to classify and qualify this as a religious book because, hey, Anyone can just choose to believe or not believe it if they wanted to. But see, with history, the facts are screaming you right in the face. You present this book as though it's a book of history to your classmates and not a religious book, they're going to have to do something with the facts, with the truth of it. Any religious book, you can just choose to believe or not believe. Oh, I don't believe that. Just like we don't believe the Koran. We don't believe the writings of Buddha. But when this becomes a history book and you look at it through the lens of history, there's truth and facts presented there and you got to do something with it. Look what it takes when you start viewing this as a religious book and then it's open to interpretation. Oh, you think that's the land of Israel? No, no, no. That's not the land of Israel. You're just looking at it from a religious standpoint. No, it's a book of history. And as a side note, it's interesting that it forms a triangle. It's also interesting that this point is down here. It's almost as though this is going to come back later in one of our questions tonight. So question two. We're taught in school that all the continents were once a singular landmass called Pangaea. You guys heard of this? I want to say I threw this out here a couple weeks ago and some people had no idea what I was talking about. You guys heard this, right? Or is it still being taught in what you guys call an education, which I call a joke now? It's not an effect. That's not towards you guys. It's just towards education, man. Uh, called Pangaea, and that over billions of years, a continental drift, quote unquote, occurred. That means that once they split up, it took millions and millions of years for them to come to the continents that we have today. Some Christians, however, believe that it was more of a continental sprint, because obviously it wasn't millions and millions of years, and that it happened during the flood, which is why we have fossils in odd places. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you guys think about some of the fossils that have been found? Canada, North America, South America. We don't see anything in the Bible about North America, South America, so it makes sense that if we're finding these fossils here, it must have been that there was... One big supercontinent before the flood, and then Noah's flood broke everything apart, and that's where it took all the fossils of the dead animals, dead plants, what have you, to the continents that we now have today. That's the question. So on your outline here, actually go over your, in chapter 2, look at chapter 1. The verse in question that, that Christians say uh, that has any kind of semblance to say that there was a Pangaea, and I'm not discounting it. I Again, I don't know where I stand on the matter. I say maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. Bible's not really clear. But some Christians, like Jack was mentioning in his question here, they use these two verses, verse 9 of chapter 1. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Somebody slowly read verse 10, because I forgot to write something down on the board. I can. Thank you. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he sees. And God saw that it was good. So you guys see here where they could use those passages to say, see, the land is in one spot, the seas are in one spot, so it's all one landmass. Uh, with everything we're going to cover with the rest of this question, as a little side note here, 
I don't have the time to go back over something we already covered, so I'm putting the name of the podcast where we previously taught this Q&A in Bible versions, oh my. That's what I called it. I'm going to mention something to answer this question that I previously covered, and I do not have the time to go back over it. If you want to know more about what I'm about to present, I have two up here. Go back to this Q&A session. I think it was Q&A session five or six. But again, if you go to our podcast where it's called FBCJ Solid Youth, you'll look for this. It wasn't too long ago. And listen to that message because I don't have the time to go back over everything again. All right. So on your outline, some Christians use Genesis 1, 9, 10 to state the earth was all one landmass, broke apart rapidly, formed the continents that we know of today due to Noah's flood. And the reason why they say it happened rapidly is because of Genesis 7, 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the seven, second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open. So you guys realize that that's what happened during Noah's flood? It wasn't just a whole bunch of rain fell down. The Bible says that there were the fountains of the deep broke up and we're starting to shoot up. It's almost like geysers. Geysers were shooting up in the ground through the water and it was just destroying everyone and everything on this planet. And so they say that when that's happening, it started to form the tectonic plates and it started to spread everything out. These Christians are saying that it happened rapidly overnight. Not overnight necessarily, but quickly to have the continents that we say now. Now, I want to mention this and I don't know if, uh, if Jack was getting his information from here. I wish he was here tonight so I could ask him. There's a website that's known as Answers in Genesis. And that's where when I keep referencing to these Christians that, that mention this stuff, Answers in Christians, <laughs> Answers in Genesis. Most of these beliefs and most of these explanations come from that website. A disclaimer. That website's not necessarily bad. The thing that I've found with Answers in Genesis and Ken Ham's the guy who runs it. Ken Ham, I believe, did the is the Creation Museum or is it the Ark? Oh, he did both. Okay, so Ken Ham, I mean, very famous Christian. I don't, not scientist, because that's a denomination. Christian scholar in the realm of science. Um, he runs this website. The problem I have with Answers in Genesis is that they try to explain everything away with science. Don't get me wrong, this is a science book. The book of Job, as we'll see here in a second, covers a lot of scientific ground. This is a scientific book. But there are certain things that God left unanswerable because He wants us to trust Him by faith. He wants us to walk by faith and not necessarily to have the answers to every little thing as it pertains to how did He do this scientifically? How did He do that scientifically? He would rather you have all the answers you need to help you with your day-to-day issues and troubles of life. That the Bible does have. There are just certain things in the Bible that He doesn't give the scientific, how did He do that? How did He do that? He doesn't do that here. Could this possibly say that that's what was happening? Possibly. So the next point on your outline here, and this is where I, I got to think, think outside the box on this, and I'm going to challenge you guys to do the same. While Pangea and its separation are certainly possible, the only question I have pertaining to the fossils is, which flood? Which flood? The Genesis 7 flood? Or the Genesis 1, 1 to 2 flood. Look at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of of God moved upon the face of the waters. We spent some time a couple weeks ago, again, in this message, talking about there is an apparent gap of time in between verse 1 and verse 2, where something seemed to happen. Because when you compare Scripture with Scripture, especially in Isaiah 45, God says He didn't make the earth without form and void. He didn't do that. He made it with form. He made it with a purpose. So in verse 2, for it to now be without form and void, something had to have happened cataclysmically that caused darkness 
without form, a void, and a deep, a baptism, if you will. Something had to have happened. And another cross-reference we used for this a couple weeks back was 2 Peter 3, verses 5-7. to For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. And if you recall from that message, we said, hey, the context in verse 3, he's talking about creation. He's not talking about what we're going to read here. He's not talking about Genesis chapter 7. He's talking about Genesis chapter 1, 1 and 2. That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water... Well, that's weird because when you read Genesis chapter 7, all of the mountains were covered in Noah's flood with water. Hmm? Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Again, we talked about there's a difference between world and earth. The world system, the world and how things operated of Noah's day did not perish. You guys get that, right? Especially for those of you who are here. The, the way things operate still operate the same today in the world system. That world didn't perish. But another world, whom God said in Hebrews chapter 1, I think it's verse 2, verse 2 or verse 3, God created the worlds. There's different worlds. The world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Noah's flood didn't affect the heaven. Noah's flood didn't. But whatever it was that happened in these passages here and in Genesis 1, 2, 1, 1 and 1, 2, something did happen that affected all of that. And as we went back in time, we went through Isaiah 14, we went through Ezekiel 28 and saw that this is where you would put Lucifer's fall. This is where you would put that Lucifer was an angel of light who led the worship of the sons of God and that he rebelled against God and so God wiped out this whole entire thing. Now, if you ask me, that seems pretty cataclysmic enough to possibly cause this. And something I didn't mention when we covered this a few weeks ago, and this is where, again, when you adhere to a belief on this, and again, we spent more time covering it. So if you're being skeptical, I totally get it. I was there once too, but just go back and listen to that message. The thing that we kind of get a lot of grief about for believing a doctrine like this, human history, for sure, without a doubt, going back to Adam and Eve and the recreation of verses 3 onward of Genesis 3, human history is 6,000 years old, no doubt. You realize, though, that with this, the earth itself may actually be millions of years old. A lot of people say that people, proponents of the gap, as this is called, proponents of the gap, they try to use this to explain theistic evolution. No, not at all. But the idea of God possibly having just hundreds of thousands or even hundreds of years, we don't really know how long he took before he recreated everything. It could be that all those things about fossils and all those things about, which I'm going to show you here in just a second, maybe not saying that science is helping God out. No, again, God has always been ahead of science. Science has always been catching up to God. But just check out some of this stuff. The mountains give testimony of this. Deuteronomy 33:15 says, And for the chief things of the what? ancient mountains and for the precious things of the lasting hills. Do you guys realize that from the time Moses wrote this in Deuteronomy 33 to the time of the flood, it was only 700 years, if that? He's talking about ancient mountains here. The earth's mountains give testimony to the latter. So look on your outline under point one. The earth's mountains are ancient. When Noah's flood occurred, the scriptures say that the waters of the flood covered the tops of the mountains in other words, the present-day mountains already existed. Many proponents of what's called the young earth belief that, hey, not only is human history only 6,000 years old, but the earth itself is also only 6,000 years old. People who believe that say that, hey, what happened with Genesis 7, that's where the mountains got formed. The mountains were already here at this time. And here in Deuteronomy, he's calling them ancient. He's saying they've been around. They've been around here for a very, very long time. 
Point two, if mountains existed before Noah's flood and these mountains were formed from uplifted sediments containing fossils, because you can find many fossils on mountaintops, then the creatures that these fossils came from had to die before the flood. I have a picture up here, and this is a little, uh, this is actually a snippet from, we do a class in our Bible Institute talking about creation science. And again, I took it my fourth year of the Bible Institute, so I had senioritis real bad. And Pastor Jay taught it, and it was the only time in the entire four years that we had three classes, and his was the third class. So I was a little rusty on that too. But this is a snippet from here. In the Appalachian Mountain Range, you can drive down Interstate Highway I-64 from the West Virginia-Kentucky border eastward into Virginia and see deep road cuts exposing repeating sequences of coal, sandstone, siltstone, shale, coal again, shale, etc. The presence of neat multiple seams of coal in the sequence indicates periods of time when the surface of the land was above sea level, allowing vegetation to flourish, die, and accumulate. Now, according to the Bible, Noah's flood only lasted one year. Therefore, it is impossible for these seams to have been formed by a single global flood event. These formations are orderly and well differentiated, which is uncharacteristic of deposits left by rapid flooding. In many locations, these sequences, which originally formed in a horizontal position, are now tilted at various angles, so they've shifted over time. Now are, some are now vertical and others have been found to be turned upside down. The tectonic process to accomplish this requires millions of years. We can be sure it occurred long before Noah's days, not during a one-year flood. Again, human history, yes, 6,000 years. From Genesis 1-2 onwards, 6,000 years. But whenever Lucifer was on this earth as the light bearer, as the anointed cherub that covered the mount of God, leading the sons of God in worship, as we'll see here in Job 38. And then when he rebelled because he said he wanted to be like the Most High, he wanted to exalt his throne above the throne of God. And then when God decided to cast him out and to wipe this place out, who knows, how long does it take you to get over something that ticks you off? Maybe it just took God a long time before he decided to start all over again. And as we mentioned before in that message, the entire earth is covered, just covered in water. What happens the further down the water you go to the temperature? Gets colder. Freezes. Ice age. And maybe whatever God did to destroy this planet and the creatures that were here during that time. Many scientists believe that it was maybe an asteroid and a couple of comets that did that, and maybe that's what caused Pangaea to break up before he sent another flood, or I should say the first flood. And maybe that's how we got fossils everywhere. Instead of looking at everything that science has discovered as, oh man, it's just evolutionists trying to come against us, try looking at it from another perspective. That maybe God is using lost men to accomplish his will by discovering things that actually happened before Adam and Eve were created. And science is just catching up to God. Again, I know this is probably shell-shocked to some of you who've never thought about things like this before. We're not saying anything that is evolutionary, you understand, right? That's where I would ask, which flood? Because Noah's flood doesn't seem like that would cause this continental sprint. Any questions on that before we move on to question three? Yeah, Carlin. I don't know if this makes any sense, but okay. your little timeline. Nice. <laughs> so, when we say that human, I'm like in shell shock right now. Yeah, it's say, all good. So we say that human history spans over 6,000 years. Yes. Before that, we talked about Lucifer's time mm -hmm. and leading the sons of God in worship. Which are another phrase for angels. And we do cover that there. So he was leading the worship. When you look at Ezekiel 28, which I think we're going to get to time to tonight, he has musical instruments in him. He, was, he had stones and gems that were translucent so that he could radiate the Shekinah bright glory of God. And he led the worship 
of all of the angelic beings that were here. So when we talk about before that, mm -hmm. did you say something about like creatures? Mm-hmm. You know what? Uh, what is Satan or Lucifer? Well, he's called Satan there. What's he described as in Genesis 3, 1? Um, Anybody want to help out? Serpent. As we covered, there's four other types of cherubim, because in Ezekiel 28, he's called the anointed cherub. Mm -hmm. There's five cherub found in the Bible. You have one that's, and if you go get, again, Go back to our podcast, night one of the Q&A, we covered cherubim. You'll see there is an ox, which represents the, the king of the domesticated animals. You have a lion, which represents the king animal of the, the wild, of the jungle. You have an eagle, which represents the king of the, what I guess you'd say, aerial domain. And then you have a man, which represents just the king of, I mean, according to Genesis 2, the king of of all of this. Man was put in charge of that. Those four cherubim represent all of those class. Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub that covered the throne, being a serpent, he was the reptilian class. That's the only one that's missing out of the four. So when you think about and this element that we covered that night, about were there dinosaurs here, could be since they're reptilian, that they were here during his time. Yeah? Follow-up question. Sure. So, <laughs> sorry guys. No, it's good. Follow-up question. When we say that God created the earth again, what does that mean? And we do make that, we do mention that on there, where if you look at everything he says, he uses the word made. Okay. There's a difference between created and made. He says created in verse 1. He doesn't say created again until I think it's verse 21. God created great whales and every living creature that moveth. The difference between created and made is that created is something out of nothing. Made is something already existed and he's just making it. If you actually look at the definition of those. And if you look at everything that he says, let it bring forth. The seed, let it bring forth in verse 11. Yeah. Take a listen to that one. I will. James. Yeah, just to go along with what you're asking about, God also gives the command to Adam to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Yes. And that's what kickstarted that whole entire series off was that question why would he tell Adam and Eve to fill again this earth, which is what replenish means? Verse 28, if you want to write that down. Or is it. Yes. Chapter 128. I saw another hand up. Sammy. This might be like kind of stupid, but... No, not at all. How is there not like a crap ton of human fossils like from Noah's flood that are just like in one single way? You know what I mean? Human fossils? Yeah, because of everybody that died. Well, it could have been that because of those geysers coming up and with whatever destruction happened then they could have fallen in during then. Could have been that whatever... Because you got to think too, when the flood happened for Noah, the sea creatures didn't die. Maybe they just had a feast. Oh. <gasps> Jamie? Well, there are human fossils that have been found sure. that resemble, yeah. where they get their evolution theory from, like resemble cavemen. Like, mm -hmm. But if you think about the type of body that you would have needed to live in an environment of that sort, like your body adapts, it doesn't evolve, it adapts to the environment that it's in. So right. are they more rugged than us? Absolutely, they had far less um, conveniences that we have now where they were always out. Like, if you think, if you walked around barefoot all the time, your feet would look very different. Yeah. If you walked around in the sun all the time and you were lifting heavy things and walking miles and miles and miles and hunting and whatever, your body would look very different. Mm -hmm. So the human fossils are the old cavemen, blah, blah, blah. They're probably just the normal people of Yeah, Cro-Magnon and all of those, yeah. So it could be that those fossils, and this is where Pastor Jay, he kind of leaves it open because the Bible is not really clear on it. Pastor Jay's notes, he kind of left it open, whereas Cro-Magnon and those fossils that are found, it could be, like Jamie was saying, people during Noah's flood that they were discovered, or, which 
I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, but maybe there was something like a human, not human because humans are made in God's image, but something like that that was made prior to. I don't know if I really ascribe to that one, but again, there's so much that we don't know that we're going to get to ask God when we get there one day. <laughs> Kendall? Oh, go ahead, James. Sorry. Like the sons of God made in like the daughters of men, and so you would have had human-like species that weren't really human in nature. Mm-hmm. They may have been the pro that looked very different, but they were still human-ish. Yeah. Carlin, uh, on that one, uh, we do one on we do one on demons and demonology. That'll answer that one. So go check that one out too. You know what? I absolutely am like, why? Is like I already kind of clarified to you guys tonight. Like I suck at science, and this is the one where you guys have a whole bunch of questions, and I am just treading water—no pun intended—treading water to try to just answer these. All right, no, this is good though. This is what I want. This is this is generating questions that we should all, when we read our Bibles, when we come to our Bibles, like man, what a book that goes so deep and so vast, and leave it to Jack to ask these questions. He's not even here tonight. Yes, Kendall. Okay, so you're saying, I mean, not. Certainly, but like there was a flood after, like Lucifer falls. And As a result of Lucifer's rebellion, yeah. Earth splits continents. How did they all get like populated again? Because Adam and Eve were just on like the little triangle, you know. I'm glad you asked that because I was wondering why I came across reading that, and I'm like, oh, surely this won't come up, and it did. <laughs> so I might need to come back with more of a descriptive detail to you next week on this one. But uh, when you look at what had happened with Noah's flood, when the water was sitting on the earth for as long as it did, and then when it receded, it wouldn't have gone back down to where the ocean levels are today. In fact, there's a lot of, it's called continental slope, if you guys want to check it out, or if you want to do a Google search, continental slope. It's where, like, you know, if you look at the edge of our continent, like, Holy smokes. I'm going to try doing this, seeing if it makes sense. All right. That didn't really work at all. So if we have like our eastern seaboard here, there's Florida, and there's Maine. There's New York that can just float off into the ocean if it wants. And here's D.C. and it can just float off into the ocean if it wants to. Anyways, you guys realize that right here is not the edge of the continent, right? Like, that's not the edge of the continent. So as you go into the water, you see more land starting to go and it eventually drops down. There's scientific evidence that shows that when the waters of the flood, of Noah's flood, receded, it would have gone down low enough to where it created like land bridges for people to walk over across. And you also have the, was it Bering Strait? The Bering Strait of... uh, I almost showed the Ice Age thing of the continental drift. Uh, The Bering Strait from Russia to Alaska, there was that land bridge that people would have migrated over here. And, I mean, and again, this is where you have to be careful, especially in today's politically correct day and age. If you think about whose people went east, Shem. It's where you get the word Semite. It's where you get the Asiatic people. They went and populated Asia. Look at the people who populated North America, the Native American. They are very Asiatic in their genetic makeup. So they would have went east, crossed over Russia, went over that Bering Strait land bridge, and came over here that way. Does that answer everything? Yeah. Again, I, I just read about continental slope this week, and I'm like, Oh, does this explain anything? No, it doesn't. And surely it won't come up. And it just did. So Google that and research that. That'll kind of explain what happened with that land bridge. Yes, Cece. Um, did all of the Nephilim die in Noah's flood? Oh, man. <laughs> so I have a couple theories on that one. What was the question? Uh, so the Nephilim is the name that is used... The Nephilim is the name that is used. We're not going to get to question three tonight. Don't worry. And I'm glad on that because I want to come back on the Great Pyramid. And maybe AJ will be here because that was his question. The Nephilim is the name that's given for the offspring of the giants. Or or, or rather, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. The Nephilim are the giants. Giants are the offspring of angelic beings having sexual intercourse with the daughters of men in Genesis chapter 6. 
We covered this when, it covered, when we talked about uh, demons, where they possibly come from, spirits, all that as well. But we didn't answer that question, Cece, so I'm glad you asked it. There are some people who believe that because those angelic beings were not only mating with the daughters of men, but as we saw in, I think it's Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy talks about that even creation itself was defiled. So these angelic beings were having intercourse with animals. Why else would God have to put it in the Levitical law to not do that? And there's some other verses too. I don't think I included on the study sheets, but you can go back and check it out. Anywho, I just now dawned on me. It's like, can you imagine somebody listening to the podcast of this? Like, what on earth is going on right now? <laughs> We're going ad, ad hominem here. We're ad living. So there are some people, because of that crossbreeding, this is where a lot of people say that you get the Greek and Roman gods of like half man, half beast, or half god, half beast. And when you, especially when you look at Poseidon, who was an aquatic god. Aquaman, if you will. <laughs> no. You guys think I'm joking? That's pretty much what it is. Where do you think DC Comics got it from? All of the DC characters, Superman... Flash, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, they're all based upon the Greek and Roman gods. Same thing with Marvel. Isn't Flash Hermes? I believe so. Anyways, so with... Uh, that's Marvel. With things like that, could some of them had aquatic abilities to have survived, and that's why we still have... We had giants on the other side of the flood, because you got to think, Goliath was a giant. Goliath was a giant on the other side of the flood. How did he get here? If God wiped out all of the giants in Noah's flood, how did we get giants on the other side of the flood? So could there still be like bloodlines like today? That's why we have Shaquille O'Neal. Mm -hmm. 